Let me ask you a, a question, sort of a thought here, because uh, this sort of goes along with what we're talking about, because this is sort of a statement, and let me make this statement. They say that what we believe affects how we live. Do you agree with that statement? You agree with that statement? Are you sure that you agree with that statement? All right. Let me make this statement then. Is it what we say that we believe that affects how we live or what we truly believe that affects how we live? Because how many of us say that we believe certain things, yet it doesn't affect what we, how we behave or the choices that we make? Are you with me? Because aren't there multitudes of things sometimes that we say that we believe, yet our actions don't seem to match up with our behavior? I mean, how many times do we say, wives, that we love our husbands, but our actions don't seem to match? <laughs> husbands, how many times do we say that we love our wives, yet our actions don't seem to match? How many times do we say that we love Jesus with all of our hearts, yet our actions don't seem to match? Are we on the same wavelength? Are you catching up with me? They say that if you really want to know what we truly believe in, take a look at somebody's checkbook and their calendar. Because it's how we spend our time and how we spend our money that tells us what we really believe in. So, as believers... Here's a thought for you. Two ways of thinking. The world's way, our way, God's way. The world's way, what culture has to say, what I want, um, what I think, what I feel, God's way, what Scripture has to say, what God says is a priority. And there's going to be a tension, Right? Because there's times that we feel certain things, we want certain things, and there's a tension between that and what God's Word has to say, right? Anybody have ever been upset because you've been wrong because somebody wronged you, and you didn't really like what God's Word has to say, right? I heard it from one of my kids this past week. I don't want to forgive. I don't really have an option. If you're a believer, you need to throw that out the window. Don't have an option. Because as a Christ follower, you're supposed to do what? But there's a tension in there, isn't there? And see, there may be some of you here that are toting that unforgiveness around. You don't really have an option. But what about, what about that? What we believe affects how we live. So let's, let me ask you a question. As a Christ follower, if I have beliefs that don't align with God's word... Are you willing to make the adjustments and to realign them with God's Word? Are you, or are you just satisfied to continue to justify your actions and go along with what you want? So, here you are, you're faced with a decision, you're faced with a choice. You know that it's contrary to what God's Word has to say. Are you satisfied to stay that way? 
to be disobedient in what God's Word has to say? Or are you challenged and compelled to realign your life with what God's Word has to say? As much tension as it may cause in your life. What do you do? See, I think there's probably some things that we could come up with today, some examples that would really cause us to sort of shudder just a little bit. Because there's a lot of things that culture says is right that we know that God's Word says isn't right. True? Yet we in our society have come to a place that we try to justify them. But God's Word does not justify sin. Right? There should be lots of amens here. Yeah. But we don't like doing that because we know there are things that we want that God's Word says isn't right. But this is one thing I want you to realize. Death is certain, and life is not fair. So let's sort of set this up. We've been in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Solomon, here he is near the end of his life. We know that we know we've been talking about Solomon. We've been talking about wisdom that God had given him. We also know that Solomon had chosen to go his own way, had, been, had chosen to disobey God. Um, we know that Solomon had used this phrase under the sun many, many times, several times, several times in the scriptures here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that, and that phrase under the sun means, um, means um, that from a worldly point of view, from man's point of view, on the earth, life without God. And we're going to see today there's some conclusions that maybe Solomon comes to, some thoughts that he comes to that are not necessarily wisdom from God, but they're man's point of view. There's some things that I bet you that you'll be able to identify with today that you'll go, oh, that's logical. But listen, logic, man's logic is not necessarily God's wisdom. Are you with me? There's a lot of things in life that are logical, that seem right, that are not God's wisdom. Are you with me? So what we're going to do today is we're going to read some passages of Scripture, and you're going to go, oh, my goodness gracious, look at that. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to, I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to participate. We're going to, we're going to back and forth a little bit, answer some questions. And then we're going to go back to God's Word to see what God's Word has to say. So can we do that together? I think it will be pretty fun. And then we're going to end up, and then we're going to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's going to be a really special time today. But before we do that, I want to be able to pray with you before we even read God's Word, because this is what I know. There are tensions in this room because there are the tensions that exist between what I want and what, God's, what God wants. And they exist in our lives for those of us that are believers. For those that are not believers, there is no tension because there is no battle that exists. But for those of us that are, that are believers, there is a tension that exists. My way or God's way? And so I pray today that just like me, as I read this stuff of what God's Word has to say, that you'll be challenged, and there'll be some aha moments today that you'll go, ooh, man, i got to back this bus up just a little bit because there's some things that God's speaking to my heart about. And I need to realign my life if I want to follow Jesus and if I want to live for Him. So let me pray with you today. Father, I'm praying today that in our time together that you would... You would illuminate your word, take away any little story or anything that I may say that may be of significance, and may it be the Holy Spirit that opens up not only the pages of your word, but, Father, the corridors of our hearts. God, I, I'm, I'm not ignorant today. I know that in this room there are people that are in conflict, 
There are people that are in trouble. There are people here that are dealing with issues in their lives where they are struggling tremendously. And God, there is no other hope than our trust and our faith in you. I pray that we would not be blinded and, and Father, just and, and think that, um, Father, that we are the only ones that may be dealing with sin. Father, the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners, only saved by God's grace. Lord, I pray today that you would just open up our hearts and our eyes and allow us to see very vividly, Father, our brokenness, but also the hope that comes through Jesus and what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. May you use the words of Solomon and as we, in this inspired scripture to speak to us today. That's what I ask. And for our children today, God, I pray that as they listen and as they write and as their ears, uh, Father, and their hearts are open, God, I pray you'd speak to their hearts as well. Remind us as parents the responsibility we have of raising children of faith, not, not just churchgoers. Church has never saved anybody. Only Jesus does. Father, thank you for heritage. And Lord, I pray you'd be with us in our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you read with me today and let's just see what, what Solomon writes here as we start out in Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 9. And this is what he says. This too I carefully explored, even though the actions of godly and wise people. Now listen, let me, before me stop here. I think you're going to probably, be, probably pretty much be able to keep up with most of this, okay? I think you'll probably be able to understand most of this. But he says this, even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hand, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially, ceremonially clean, unclean, righteous, a religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatment as sinners. And people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course. For they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is, only, there is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on this earth. Well, let's put this in some contemporary terms. Good, bad, ugly, pretty. Uh, smell good, smart, dumb, religious, non-religious, go to church, don't go to church, believer, non-believer, guess what's going to happen? You're going to die, people. That's what he says. Ultimately, we will all die. And it's like Solomon saying, is that all there is? I mean, is that all there is in life? And there's a there's an illustration that's used in reference to a live dog or a dead lion. And he says, a live dog is better than a dead lion. I mean, here's the lion, the king of the jungle. But he's dead. And when a, dead, when a lion's dead, he's dead. It doesn't matter if he's king of the jungle or not. Right? And so it doesn't matter. 
um, how powerful you may be or what position you may hold or whatever you may have. When you're dead, you're, it's it. Man, listen, when you're, it's gone. It's over with. It's, when it's completed, when it's finished, it's done. And Solomon's saying, listen, that's it. And so if we were to take and to summarize maybe the thoughts of Solomon, it might be something like this. Or man's perspective is you only live life once. You only live life once. You go through life once and then it's what? It's, it's done. It's over with. It's completed. So when that thought in mind, if we're going to die, regardless if you're good or not, why don't we just go ahead and live it up? Why don't we just go for the gusto? Why don't we just do it? Whatever you want to do. If we're all going to die anyway, good or bad, why don't we just go for it? And maybe you've heard some of those statements in the past on some of these little, some of these little statements on, you know, on uh, these little, these little uh, jingles. Just do it. Make it happen. They're mottos. And how many of us still even operate by those standards as believers or followers of Christ? And so, so here's a question that maybe we can participate in today. How can the thought of we only live once affect how we live today? That's a question. So how can this thought of we only live once affect how we live on this earth today? Participation. Now don't be too spiritual with me. How can it affect us? The fact that we only live once, how can it affect us? That thought. What? It can cause us to be reckless. Okay. Man, listen. Since I only got so much, I'm just going to go out and make it happen. What else? What's another thought? How, how can that thought of we only live once, how can that cause us to live? Maybe how can that affect our lives? No do-overs? Man, just going to make it happen. Chances? What else? Get what you can get while you can get it. Evaluate your actions more. Leave an unforgettable impression on people. All right. Think about, now you're thinking about in this world now, in this world from man's perspective. We're not thinking about God's perspective. We're thinking about man's perspective. Diane? What did you say? Motivate us to share Jesus more from a Christian perspective, it would. But what about man's perspective? The person that doesn't know the Lord. How did it affect us? Rodney? Do what? Take in every experience that you can. Doesn't matter what it is. What else? Go for the gusto. Um, have all the fun that I can. What about this one? If I only have so much time, I better do that all that I can before my time is up. I wonder if this is one of the reasons so many marriages fail. I mean, think about it. If I only got so much time, only one life to live, listen, I'm tired of him, so why don't I just go find myself a new one so I don't have to put up with his foolishness anymore? Or reverse that. If time is short, why waste my time? Or maybe that's why some people get so much in the hole financially. 
Because if it's stuff that makes me happy, I need more stuff. So I better have as much stuff as I can now so that I can be as happy as I can regardless. I don't have to pay the bills. Somebody else can pay it after I die. But what does God's Word have to say? What does God's Word have to say? There is life after death. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross between two thieves. One says, man, listen, curse Jesus. You aren't who you, who you say you are. If you would, you'd get us down off this cross. The other says, I believe. And in Luke chapter 23, we, said where Jesus, we see where Jesus says, today you will be with me in, in paradise. We see where Jesus is telling us that there's more to this life than this life. But yet, how many times as believers do we get caught up in the mindset that there is only this life? I mean, and so we live life selfishly. It's only about me and what I want, my needs. And we live that way, not just selfishly my priorities, my life, my wants, but what about not only selfishly, but sinfully. And I don't really necessarily need to go into all the details there, do I? But this type of attitude of, you know, you only live life once has a way of permeating even our lives as believers. How many of us invest all of our time and resources in this life never preparing for what's yet to come? No preparation for what's next. How many of us cling to this life that we have not even thinking about what's next? I was at a funeral not long ago that I had the opportunity of participating in of a senior adult man that had lived for the Lord for many years, didn't give his life to the Lord until later on in life, but completely, completely just abandoned everything for, for the sake of Christ. And I heard testimony after testimony after testimony of lives that had been radically impacted by the sacrifice of this, this man's life and impact of his life because of what he had done. And not only that, I heard about how this man later on in life wasn't clinging to this life, but he was longing for what was to come. It's that old song, Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. And someday, you know what you see? And the older you get, man, Jesus in heaven becomes a lot more sweeter. Now I'm beginning to understand why older people sing more about heaven. Yeah, because it becomes more real as the days go on. You don't think about that as younger, younger people. But the older you get, heaven becomes more real. And we shouldn't be clinging on to what's here on this this world and this earth, but we should be longing for what's to come because there's more to this life than this life. There is more to this life than just this life. We live more than once. There is another life. So let me ask you this question. In examining your own life, in what way are you allowing the worldly beliefs that we only live once to influence your life and impact your life? I mean, is it impacting the choices that you make on a daily basis? Are you storing up treasures on earth which moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal? Or are you storing up treasures in heaven that moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal? Because the scriptures tell us that where our heart is, that's where our treasures will be. 
So what are you doing? I mean, in the midst of an examination, where is, where's your treasures at? You say, man, listen, I'm longing for tomorrow. I'm longing for what's to come. But what kind of choices are you making? Do the choices that you're making on a daily basis, do they exhibit the fact that you believe there is another life? There's more to this life. Look at what Solomon goes on to write in verse 7. He says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes and with a splash of cologne, live happily with the woman you love through all of the meaningless days of life that God has given under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all of your earthly toil. Whatever you do well, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Solomon, drink, enjoy. Enjoy the pleasures. Whatever you do, do it to the fullest. Maybe a thought like this. If this is all that we have and then we die, live it up while you can. Just live it up while you can because you deserve it. And so here's a question for you, somewhat similar to the other one, but a little bit different. How does the attitude of eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, how does that impact our lives? How does the attitude of eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, how does that impact our lives? I'll throw that out there. Do what, Gail? Affects your health. Okay. Okay, you, okay, that's right. What else? Selfish? Any selfish people in here? What else? What are some other? How would you, would you answer that question? Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we are. How does that impact the lives that we live? What about no rules? Do whatever you want. We focus on what happens in the short term and we leave out the long term, which happens to include God. We only focus on the short terms. Get all that you can get because the boy with the most toys wins. Oh, yeah, you can. But that's not what we're talking about here, though. We're talking about an attitude here that says, live it up while you can. You deserve it. Because really, what should we be living it up for? See, what should we be living up for? Because let me tell you what God's Word has to say. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is what God's Word has to say. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that He planned for us long ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who is given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God brought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The greatest testimony of God's power in today's world, man, is, is how we choose to live in our lives these days. We think it's about the miracles, but think about the way that we choose to live and how we choose to carry ourselves in a daily, in a day in and day out basis. And then that passage is one of my favorite. 
I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That we're willing to lay aside and lay down that we're not our own, but we're his, and we are to live for him. And these verses give us a different perspective, that life is bigger than what we eat, drink, and that be merry attitude. It's bigger than that, but we were created for something much bigger than that, that it was bigger than self-service, but that we were created with a purpose. The idea of dying to self, though, is, and rearranging our life for Christ, that's, that's, not, that's not something that we like. None of us want to change our plans because God says, go do this. We want to do what what? We want to do what we want to do. If it's not in our, it's not in our agenda, we sure don't want to change and go in another direction. We want what we want. To change our lives for the sake of the gospel? To do something that's not popular? But how many times does this attitude take place in our lives? But when we're willing to set aside self, it's the, it's the attitude of the work of the Holy Spirit that we see in our lives that's beginning to motivate us. And that's an attitude that pleases the Lord. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12. He said, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that you find, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is the way you worship him. Listen, we love to raise our hands, but you want to worship him? Let it be done in your choices and how we choose to live for him on a daily basis. This That's great. But look what Paul said. He said, if you want to worship him, he said, holy living sacrifice. Then he will find it acceptable. This is the way that we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform us into a new person, changing the way that we think, and then we'll learn to know God's will, which is pleasing and good and perfect. How many of you want to be different? How many of us want to be different? How many of us desire to be different? You know, the Bible calls us a peculiar people. Yet how many of us are believers cannot even be, cannot even be determined when we're in a crowd? We should be able to see in the midst of a crowd of people, you should be able to see the difference between believers and non-believers. Not by necessarily how you dress, but what about in the way that you speak? What about in the way you care for people? But sometimes non-believers are more caring for others than people who call themselves believers are. Have you ever seen that before? It's a wake-up call. So the worldly view is my life is all about me. It's all about me. But God's Word says my life is all about Him. One more thought. Verses 11 through 18. I've observed something under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict what hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. Here's another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I've watched the way our world works. There was a small town with only a few people. A great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor, 
wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. But afterwards, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. For if they say, what will they, what they say will, uh, will not be appreciated for long. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. So a paraphrase might be something like this. The fast don't always win the race. You know, there's a discussion right now in the Olympics about the world record holder that just set the world record being able to participate in the Olympics. I don't know if you saw that yesterday. There was a big deal on Twitter about whether or not the girl from the United States, I believe, was, would be able to participate in the Olympics. She just set the world record, yet they may not, she, she may not be able to participate in the Olympics. The fast don't always win the race. The strongest don't always win the fight. The wise aren't always happy, and the smart don't always get what they want. But sooner or later, we will all be impacted by something that will take our breath away. Just like the fish caught in the net or the bird caught in the trap, something bad will happen probably sometime in your life unexpectedly. Anybody had that happen lately? At a funeral yesterday of a gentleman that less than two months ago he found out he had cancer. 63 years old. man that had a great impact in the lives of many people in the areas of youth sports in this area. Unexpectedly took, a, took their breath away. Big deal. You even have a poor guy here that saved a city, but it didn't take long for the people that were saved to forget what he had done. Ever done something for somebody and it didn't take long for them to forget the deeds that you had done? Wisdom is better than foolishness. And one fool's sin can undermine a lot. To break it all down... It might be something like this. We've talked about this from time to time. Life's just not fair. Life's just not fair. And so this question, how can the thought of life's not fair impact, affect our decisions of how we choose to live? So how can this thought process of life's not fair affect or impact our decisions of how we choose to live? Any thoughts? a question. Life's not fair. So how could that cause you to maybe make some, what are maybe some some things that you might do because you feel that life's not fair? What are some decisions you might make? Change your priorities? Okay. Bitter? Sense of entitlement? Jealousy? What else? Cheating? I'm not going to pay the IRS any money. They cheat me every month anyway. Getting even? Yeah. Sense of hopelessness? What's the use? Life's not fair. There's no sense of hope. What else? Anything else? Afraid? 
You run around with a chip on your shoulder. Anybody ever met, ever met anybody with a chip on their shoulder? Caleb and I were having a conversation this the other, just about this the other day. He's met somebody with a chip on their shoulder, an adult of all people. And so we were talking about when we, when we drive by that house, pray for them. Listen, some of the nastiest people are bitter people. They're older, bitter people who have been, feel like life has treated them wrong. And you can point them out. You see them at the store. You may see them in the place of business. You see them in churches. They're nasty. And they may go to church every Sunday. They may even teach a Bible study. But they're nasty, bitter people. And they think they're great people. And yet nobody wants to be around them. So I was having this conversation with Caleb because he's come upon somebody like that. And we were having a discussion how not to, to be bitter and how not to be angry, but how to pray for those who hurt you. How to pray for them. So this morning as we were driving by their house, we were, he said, Daddy, we need to pray right now. <laughs> I said, just pray. So I said, I better keep my eyes open. I'm driving, so you pray. <laughs> but it's amazing the way that we will act. We think that life's not fair. Despair, discouragement. I mean, how many of us think that life isn't fair? How many of us feel that, that maybe God's not fair? How many of us question God? How many of us have seen the good guys finish last and the bad guys seem to finish first? Well, let me tell you what God's Word says. God's Word says judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Romans chapter 14 says this, that every one of us will have to give a personal account to the Lord. Galatians chapter 6, 9, Paul said, listen, let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. For those of us that are believers, we're going to have to stand before the Lord at that judgment seat of Christ. And what's going to happen there is that there's going to be, there's going to be a, a time that we're going to have to give an account, but it's not going to be for punishment, but it's going to be for a time of reward as we, we have to give an account of all the things that we've done and how we've used the gifts and talents that God has, has blessed us with. Man, listen, our, our, the penalty for our sin has already been paid for. Christ has already did that. He's, he's paid that penalty. That sin has been washed away. But now there's that opportunity to stand before the Lord and say, listen, how have you used those gifts and talents that I've, I've bestowed upon you? And there's that judgment that we have to, we have to walk through. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10 says, We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we will receive what is due for the things done in our body. But what about for those that are not followers of Jesus? The Bible talks about the great white throne, that one day Jesus in all of His glory, that He's coming. And the Bible talks about the fact that we will see and experience Him in His awesome power. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, and the earth and the sky fled from His presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And it says, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, and, the, and re, as recorded in the books, and the sea gave up, gave up the dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead, and they were all judged according to their deeds. Then the death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. 
and this lake of fire and the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And we look into this world and what we see and we and we just sometimes, how many times do we just want to take it into our own hands because we say life's just not fair. And God, where are you at in the midst of this? And we want to take it into our own hands and we want to, we want to say, God, I'll judge it. Since you won't judge it, I'll take care of it. God, since you won't show up and you won't do what needs to be done, I'll handle it right now. But God is fair. And God has a plan. And God is in control. And he will make things right. Yet it's so easy to become bitter and angry and cynical and nasty. <laughs> but God sees a much bigger picture. See, the, we see the painting. But God just doesn't see the painting. He sees the story behind the painting. The past, the present, as well as the future. The worldly perspective is, man, life is unfair. But the biblical perspective is this. God is just, and he is always on time. Always on time. The biblical perspective is this. Jesus is coming back, and there will be a judgment. Because there is a judge. In the book of James, it says, God alone who gave the law is judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. In Psalms chapter 9 verse 8, it says, He will judge the world with justice. He and rule the nations with fairness. And I guess the question that I have to ask today is this. Are you ready for that day? I mean, in the midst of it all, are you ready for that day? I mean, are you ready for that day when that day comes? As I stood over that funeral yesterday, I had to ask the question, you know, Mike's lived his life, but what about you? What about the time that you've got left? I mean, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? What about you today? Do you know that you would spend eternity in heaven with Christ? Have you made that decision? The scripture is very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Have you made that decision to commit your life to Christ and to follow Him? If so, your choices, our choices, my choices should be different. And if they're not, why not? So you, do you know today, when that time comes and you breathe your last breath, do you know? Do you know where you'll spend eternity? Because judgment is coming. That's not the world's view. That's God's view. And that's what the Bible has to say. Sometimes people say, but you don't have a clue. I told them yesterday, and I shared this story, I think, with you a while back, a couple of years ago when we were with Rick and Mary in Nicaragua. Um, they had brought Hoel into the house, to their household to adopt him. And they had found him. As a, as a young boy, not really knowing how old because he was living on the streets, they found him living in a croaker sack up underneath the stairs downtown in Ladalia. Um, and they, over a period of time, were able to adopt him and bring him into their home. But Hoel kept running away and running away and running away and stealing things and 
It was just a mess. I mean, as much as they would pour their love on him, as much as they would do for him, it was like he would continue to, to take from them. And uh, he had been just, it was, it was just back and forth, just heartbreaking in so many different ways. But here's a young boy that had been abused on the streets. And one time we were up at the mission, um, and we were outside in the back, and, and one, of the, one of the locals, that um, one of the Nicaraguans, grabbed Hoel and sitting down behind the woodshed, and we were in the back, away from everybody. And there were about two or three of us that were back there. And man, he got in his face, and, and um, William was trying to translate for me what he was saying, but I knew it wasn't good, whatever it was. It was, it was pretty rough. It was, it was tough. And I did understand this. He did say this. You don't deserve Dr. Rick's love. And man, it just, whew. It came over me. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me. And yet none of us deserve God's love. None of us. Not one of us in this room deserve God's love. And yet he demonstrated his love even when we didn't deserve it. He was all in. Even, even when we were still sinners... He was all in. It's not logical. It don't make sense. It's not wisdom of this world. But it's God's unconditional love. It's only God. You can't make sense out of it. And I can't make sense out of it. But that's how much he loves us. And if you've never experienced that before, and you don't have that assurance of, of salvation, and if you don't have an assurance of heaven one day, what is it that keeps you from making that decision? It's definitely not on God's side, because He's got His arms wide open. So where the hang-up is coming is from you, because you know what you're saying God, I don't need you. I've got it handled. I'm good enough. I will work my way in. I will do enough. I'm a good enough person. I don't trust you. And even in the midst of all of those inconsistencies in your life, he still did it, knowing that you would struggle. So I don't know where you are today, but as we finish up, before we go to the Lord's Supper, I feel like you just need to have an opportunity, if you've never trusted Christ, to have that opportunity. Would you bow your heads with me? Man, in reference to judgment, do you know without a shadow of a doubt, based on your faith in Jesus Christ and what the Scripture has to say, have you come to the place in your life that you know for certain without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you know where you'd spend eternity? Do you know that?
Do you know that? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, man, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about this relationship with Jesus. I don't know about this salvation stuff. I just don't know. But I want to know. The Bible says this. It tells us, number one, that we're all sinners. It tells us, number one, that our sin dooms us. It tells us this, that Jesus loved us so much that he gave his own life, that he would die for us on a cross. It tells us that he demonstrated that love, that he became the sacrificial lamb. There wasn't anything that we could do for ourselves, but he had to pay that price for us. There is a price that must be paid for sin. He paid that price, a price that we ourselves could not pay. And the Bible goes on to say that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That what you must do is say, hey, listen, I believe, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I am, I am a, I'm a mess. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. And I believe that he will save me. I believe that what he did on the cross was enough. That there's nothing that I can do that will save me. And if today you're at that place and you say, man, I believe. I don't understand it all, but I, I, I want to believe. I want to follow Jesus. I want to take that step and I want to I follow Jesus. Right there where you are. I just want to ask you to pray. Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. I confess my sins right now. I'm a sinner. Jesus, help me. Help me to understand, Father, how to go from being, from being in the world to being in you, to being in, in you, to being alive, from being dead to being alive, to knowing what it's like to, to live for you daily. And if that's you today and you're, you're there, and I want, if you just raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you today to come forward, but just raise your hand where you are just so can I, I can identify with you. I know who you are because I'd love to be able to pray for you. Is there anybody here that says, listen today, I want to make that decision to follow Christ? Anybody? Anybody else? I want to follow Jesus. Anybody else? You know, maybe you're here today and you're a Christ follower, but as we talk about the world and we talk about God and we talk about some of the, some of the wrestling, the tensions, you've all of a sudden begin to identify with the fact there's some stuff going on in your life that, man, listen, upon examination, you're living more for the world than you are for the Lord. There's some, there's some realigning that needs to take place. You need to go to the tire store. You need to get God's Word out. You need to be spending some time in God's Word and saying, God, what is it in my life that needs to be realigned? You need to associate with a group of people that will help you in that process. God's Word, praying and spending time in God's Word and having some people that will help hold you accountable. There's a, maybe a, many of you here. Man, the Lord may have spoken to you about some things in your life that are just off-center. You've bought into what the world says. And, and listen, it's wrong. This is for all of us. Even right now for you to be able to pray and say, God, forgive me. Help me realign my life today. Because I want to be an example for you. I want to live for you. If you've made either one of those decisions, there's a card that's in front of you and, and in just a few minutes I'm going to, as as Brian will be playing as we go into a time of the Lord's Supper, I just, well, before you leave here, just fill that card out and, and just 
and just say something on there. Just write your name and say uh, how I can contact you to say, listen, man, this is a decision I made to accept Jesus today. Would you, would you please talk to me more about this? Or, man, I, I've just made a decision that there's some things in my life I need to realign. Some stuff that needs to happen. Upon further examination, man, I need to, I need to get some things together. But you know, there may be some of you here today that you're a Christ follower, you've made a decision for the Lord, but you've never followed through in baptism. You've never made public your decision to follow Jesus. Maybe that's the decision that you need to make, that today you want to let people know that you want to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. And that baptism isn't what saves you, but it's that public affirmation of your faith of going from life from death to life. It's a public affirmation of that changing of the heart. It's that outward expression of what God is doing inwardly. And if that's you, even on that card, you just write, listen, your name, and man, I need to be baptized. I've I've not been baptized. Or maybe I was baptized as a child and it was just insignificant and I've made a decision for the Lord since that time. I want to be baptized. On August the 14th, we're going to have baptism out at the lake and it's going to be a really special time And if that's you, man, we'd love for you to fill that card and turn it in in those boxes as you leave this morning. But before we go into the Lord's Supper, I just want to be able to pray over you today. Father, I thank you for your word because your word is what speaks to us. Your word is what penetrates our hearts. No other story does that. I thank you that your word is true, that it tells us what's right, what's not right how to get right and how to stay right. For those in this room today that may have raised that hand to say, I want to receive Jesus, I pray they'd have the boldness and the courage to write their name on that card and turn that in so that we can contact them and talk talk to them more about that decision of trust Jesus. For those that are here today and and then just upon examination, they see areas of their life that, that God, that you've spoken to them to, and there's some There's some need for realignment. I even pray today, Lord, they would be bold enough and courageous enough to say, write that name on that card that's in the back of that pew and fill that out and just say, hey, I need some realignment in my life. The Lord has spoke to me today, and I want to follow through with this. And even for that person today that says, man, I've followed Jesus, but I've never been baptized. I want to make my public profession. I I want to go before a crowd of people, and I want them to know that I've given my life to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word that it speaks, and may we be faithful to be obedient. Father, now as we go into this time of invitation, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, that um, what a special time this would be for us as a congregation. As we remember your sacrifice, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.